church. It's great to see you guys. Good to be able to worship this morning. Will you stand with us? And we're going to do just that.
make sure my mic's on. There we go. Good morning, North Point. Feel free to have a seat. We're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper communion, an opportunity to reflect. You know, Jesus said twice, do this in remembrance or in memory of me. And the things I think he wants us to remember is how dearly we're loved. He said that the bread symbolizes his broken body that he gave freely for us and that his blood he poured out for us to establish a new covenant or a new relationship between God and man where our sins are forgiven and God is close to us. This is a world where we can sometimes feel undervalued. We can feel like we're not loved and we can feel like we're not alone. Jesus showed through his death and resurrection on the cross that we are dearly loved and promises us that we are never alone. So take a few minutes, reflect on that, and when you're ready, feel free to take communion.
Good morning. Welcome to North Point. Go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Bob Carr, and uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. It's a morning of probably, as you're singing, lots of thoughts and emotions. And, and you know, uh, this probably isn't the place that you're at last Sunday morning, right? I mean, a lot of things happen. A lot of things change. A lot of things are going on. And then they hand you the mic and they say, hey, Bob, go do announcements. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that this morning. And uh, I think the best way that I heard it this morning is talking to somebody out while I was getting coffee. And he said, you know, with all the craziness in the world, it's just good to be at church this morning. So thanks for being here. We're glad that you're hanging out with us. We're glad that you chose to be with us this morning. We want to know that you're here. So on the left side of your row, there's going to be a little black book. Go ahead, pick that up. Write down your information in that, um, your name, your address, anything you'd like to share. Somebody's going to look at that. So if there's something you just want to say, something you want to write down, go ahead and drop it in there. And it's not just we want your information. Say hi to someone because you're like, Bob, that's your job to say hi to everybody. No, it's your job too, so carry the load. So say hi to everybody as you pass that along as well. Well, uh, if you're with us online, make sure that you do please text us. That text is going to be guest to 833-CHAT-NCC. 
That's 833-242-8622. You can't really say, I mean, you could say hi to like your dog or something if they're there with you, but uh, type hi into the chat. You can be part of the conversation. That's totally cool too. We'd be glad to know that you're here with us online as well this morning. A couple things to put on your calendar coming up in two weeks. The first thing is that there's a blood drive coming up on March 5th during services, before services, after services. And perhaps this is something that's not usually on your radar, but this week maybe it's a little bit more on your radar. And it might be like me where you see, oh yeah, blood drive, and the excuses start running. So we're going to go ahead and cut those out now. You can go ahead and even make a reservation on on the North Point app this morning to make sure that you actually hold yourself to that and you do uh, take part of that blood drive, uh, knowing that need and perhaps feeling it a little bit more this past week. It's a good opportunity coming up in two weeks right out here in the lobby. Another thing coming up is going to be North Point 101. Maybe you've been kind of hanging out with North Point for a few weeks or maybe even longer than you'd like to admit than a few weeks. And you're like, what's it all about? What's going on behind the scenes? What pushes North Point? What drives North Point? Who are the people? And all those questions that you've always wanted to ask you can probably talk to your spouse about during lunch. You can actually do something about that and come to North Point 101. It's going to be a three-week class, March 5th, 12th, and 19th. It's going to be during this service, once again, out in the lobby in one of the classrooms, an opportunity for you to see more, know more, hear more about North Point, and perhaps some future opportunities for you there as well. So that's one last thing as we uh, kind of move towards our, our sermon and our sermon. Rick hates that word. He's going to Bob never does announcements again. No problem. That's cool. So <laughs> uh, as we move towards uh, Rick coming up and sharing with us, we do want to thank you not just for being here and participating with just listening and being here, but thanks for giving. Uh, thanks for being part of the finances that go on that are part of the ministries that keep the lights on is a very practical way and also spreads out and gives hope to the community that needs it. Um, if you want to be part of that, there's just ways to give in the back of the boxes on your way out. Also, online is an option through the chat, uh, through the app. And then once again, you can text that number and be part of that opportunity. Thanks for being here. We're really glad you're here. It's good to be at church this morning. Howdy, partner. <laughs> I love the music. Love it. Uh, morning. Hey, I want to share some cool stuff before we kind of jump into the message. If you've been around, you know that uh, last Christmas, we took up a special offering. Uh, our hope was for that offering to be $50,000. Um, that would allow us to be a part of helping plant a church and building a school in um, Kenya. And um, we didn't quite reach our goal of $50,000. However, our, uh, our final amount is about $35,000, which is way, way cool. Give it up. Thank you for um, your generosity, for being a part of that. Um, I was able to speak with, um, with Missions of Hope International, the organization that, that we're partnering with, and they said hey, if it's okay with you, we'd, we'd like to take that money and to build a church building in the community where we were going to help plant the school. 
So the first, actually the first aspect of it will be that a church will go into the community of Chumani, C-H-U-M-A-N-I in, uh, in southern Kenya, not too far off the Indian Ocean. And uh, we're going to be a part of that and um, be a part of uh, hundreds of people coming to know Jesus in that place, which is really, really cool. So thank you for that. Um, also, uh, you know, this week, crazy, crazy week. And um, I would like for us to just spend a little bit of time in prayer, if we could, for uh, Michigan State, for the community, um, for the families. So let's, let's do that right now. God, um, we come to you because we know that you're the only one who can make sense out of tragedy. Um, because we know, God, that you care, that you love us deeply. Um, God, we come to you because uh, we, don't, we don't know where else to turn. And um, Lord, we just ask right now that you would, that you would bring healing and um, comfort. Um, God, that you would be with the families of the three students who died. And um, they're trying to make sense of what's happened and what life looks like now. Um, God, just let them, let them encounter you in this and uh, depend on you. Um, God, we pray for the students that are still in the hospital, that, um, whose bodies are um, just, they need help, they need recovery, they need healing. Uh, Lord, we know that the docs have lots of tools, but that you're the one who does that work. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, that you would heal them, um, that you would give the nurses, the doctors, all the staff um, special awareness, special um, care, special tools that can, that can help them heal. And God, for the, for the faculty, for the students, for the community in East Lansing, we, we just ask, God, that you would um, come in and make your presence known, that um, that as people grieve, as people hurt, that they would turn to you. And, um, and God, uh, we live in a broken world, and, and so we just really ask, Lord, um, Jesus, come quickly and um, make things right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, In 1995, a movie was made about a high school teacher in, I think, in Portland, Oregon. Um, and, and kind of, it was based on his life story, a, a guy named um, Glenn Holland. He was a guy who wasn't um, particularly um, sold out for teaching. It wasn't like he had a calling to teach. It was more like he had this dream and teaching was going to allow him to accomplish his, his dream. His dream was that he would be a famous composer, that he would write the great American symphony. And, um, and so he took this teaching job thinking, you know what, I can, I can compose uh, through the summer, I can compose nights and weekends, I can do that, and that's going to help me ultimately to achieve my dream. Uh, instead, what, what um, Richard Dreyfuss, who, who played um, Glenn Holland, uh, what he experienced was that he ended up kind of trapped in the classroom. 
that one year led to the next and that he went through the Vietnam War years and then through the 70s, 80s, and 90s and, all, and just one thing after another. He had a son, the son had special needs and he just continued to teach and he never really was able to realize that dream of, of having his symphony finished and published. Um, he had this dream that didn't materialize and the disappointment that he experienced in that. Um, if you know the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, you, you, have in, you have in your mind this picture of him as, as he comes to the end of his career. The arts program has been reduced to nothing. They've taken away all the money and he loses his job, not because he wants to retire necessarily, but because they just cut the arts out of the school. Disappointed with unfulfilled dreams. I met with a fellow pastor a few years ago who told me about a conversation he had with a, with a man who was addicted to pornography. And um, he, he told me about this conversation where this, this guy said, this is not the life that I imagined for me. I didn't expect that at this stage of my life that I would still deal with this addiction. Um, that at this stage in my 60s and 70s, that I still would be fighting this addiction to pornography that has its hold on me. I expected myself to be over this by now. Um, I expected myself to be better than this. Uh, we've been talking the last few weeks about disappointment. Um, and, and over the last two weeks, we've talked about how crippling disappointment, being disappointed in our relationships can be for us, how being disappointed in our job, how that can cripple us. But here's, here's the thing. Today, we're talking about being disappointed with ourselves. And while the, uh, while the other disappointments may cripple us, I, I think disappointment with ourselves can be a cancer that gets inside us and eats us alive from the inside. It can be devastating. It can, be, uh, it can destroy us. It can wreck our lives when, when we live with, disappointed, with disappointment in ourselves. So l- let me ask you a happy question to start the message. Are you disappointed with yourself? Are you disappointed with where your life is, with how it's turning out? You know, being disappointed with ourselves, is not, that's not anything new. Um, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, um, it describes what happens when Adam and Eve eat from this tree that God told them, you can eat anything, anything that I've created, just not that. And they do. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 3. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. This is after they've eaten the fruit. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. We often talk about the shame and the guilt that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden after they had sinned. But can you imagine the disappointment they had in themselves for the rest of their lives? I've got to believe that Adam and Eve who lived lots and lots of years, would sit around the campfire at night, would go on a trip and just have conversations say, why did we do that? Why did we make that choice? We were, we were in perfect fellowship with God and we gave it all away, disappointed in themselves. Um, 
Paul is one of the, one of the uh, primary voices in the New Testament. He wrote more than half of the New Testament. Um, he, he, didn't, he wasn't always that way, though. He had persecuted Christians. He had pursued Christians believing that they were sending people away from, from the right kind of relationship with God. But Jesus appears to him on the, on the road to Damascus and has this conversation with him. And Paul, Paul's life is radically changed. He's, down, he's going down one path where he says, you know what, it's all about being the perfect Jew, keeping the law and destroying Christianity. And then he ends up becoming the strongest advocate for Christianity that, that there is in the first century. He writes more than half of the New Testament. Um, he teaches us still even today what it means to walk with Jesus. Um, he, he experiences a follower of Jesus being shipwrecked and flogged and stoned, left for dead. But he wrote these words, this, this bastion of the faith, this, this person that we look to, he wrote these words in Romans chapter 7. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that God's law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin that lives in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin that lives inside me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Do you, when you hear that read, when you read it, do you sense the disappointment that Paul has in himself, the tension that's there because the things that he wants to accomplish, the things that he believed that he could do in following Jesus, he just keeps falling. You know, there, there are a lot of reasons why we end up disappointed with ourselves. Some of us are disappointed with ourselves because of decisions that we made years ago. Some of us are disappointed in ourselves because of decisions that we made this past week. Some of us experience disappointment with ourselves because of the attitude that comes out when we're in a stressful situation. Some of us are disappointed in ourselves because we just are floating through life. We don't really give our best efforts. Some, some of us are disappointed with the way that we treat other people. Um, some of us are disappointed with ourselves because we just don't get what's going on around us. We're missing the cues. We're not picking up on those things. Some of us are disappointed with ourselves because of our, our physical appearance. We're too skinny, too fat, too tall, too short, whatever it is. We have this flaw or that flaw, and we, we just think, ah, this is not the body that I wanted. Some of us are disappointed because we play it too safe because we don't take risks. Some of us are disappointed in ourselves because we take too many risks and we just throw things away that are good. Some of us are disappointed because we're, we, are, we have not been more proactive in our lives or we've not stood up for what's right. 
And some of us this morning experienced disappointment because our relationship with God is not what we had hoped that it would be. We thought by this point in time in our lives that we'd know God better, deeper, that would depend on him more. And it's just not happened. And it's not God's fault. It's ours. You know, disappointment with ourselves undermines the things that we want most deeply. We can be disappointed with ourselves and that undermines our relationship with God. That disappointment that with ourselves, it undermines our, our role in our family. It undermines our job. It undermines what we do financially. Because we don't think that we deserve those good things that, that we care about. We live for the moment and just respond to the moment rather than for what really matters. Being disappointed with ourselves is very real. At the, at the heart of that is that we have these expectations for ourselves that are not fulfilled. Um, we, we don't look like we thought would look. We, our body doesn't work the way that we thought it would. I don't act the way that I want to act. What, what causes us to be disappointed with ourselves? That, that's really what I, where I kind of want to dive in today. The first, the first part of that, I think, is that we have unrealistic expectations. Too often, we set expectations for ourselves based on what we see around us and not what we hear from God. We, we look we, um, we, we think about, oh, this is what my mom and dad's life looked like, so that's the kind of life I want to have too, and it doesn't happen. We watch in movies or on TV, and we think, oh, that's how they responded, that's what I want to do too, and it doesn't happen. We have unrealistic expectations. We hear people that say, hey, if you just apply yourself, if you just work hard enough and long enough, if you just want it bad enough, you can do anything, anything that you want. And we put in the work, and we desire it deeply, but that expectation is not fulfilled. The problem is that we set our expectations on what's temporal, on what's temporary, and not what's on eternal. During my 30s and 40s, I was really, really proud of myself because I didn't need bifocals. You know, all my friends, as they got older, they kept saying, oh, yeah, I, I've got to get glasses. And I'm thinking, in my 30s, I can see great. In my 40s, I can see great. I'm doing good. And, and when I hit my early 50s, it was like, oh, I can't read that anymore. I need some help. Over the last 10 or 12 years, though, something interesting has happened with my eyes because they have deteriorated. And so there's some things that are happening with the shape of my eyes so that out of one eye in particular, um, if, uh, if, if I try and read the thing, I see double images out of one eye. So like right now, the auditorium looks really, really full. Uh, you know, there's uh, twice as many people that are there. Um, but as soon as I put my glasses on, all of a sudden, everything comes into focus and I can see much more clearly. Um, we need glasses that come from God. We need corrective lenses to take those fuzzy images, those expectations that come from other places other than God and be able to see and to be able to see from his perspective. Um, we look around and we, we think, oh, if I just have this position, if I just have this thing, my life is going to be fulfilled. I'm going to experience that. And then we get that thing and it doesn't deliver. 
Um, we thought that would be making the right that that making the right decision would be the silver silver bullet to give meaning and purpose and, and fulfillment to our lives, and we make that decision and everything falls apart and it doesn't materialize. Often because the standards by which we make those decisions, we experience those things are not God's standards. God's standards are about what's inside us. God's standards are about holiness, a condition of our heart. But our standards so much of the time that define our expectations are defined by the world. They're defined by a condition of our circumstances. If I just do this, if I just live in this way, I'll have, everything will be great. Um, here's what I want you to hear about, about unrealistic expectations. God's love for you is not dependent upon your circumstances. You don't have to perform to receive God's love. Um, uh, let, me, let me just show, this, show, you, show you something that I think is such a cool thing uh, about this concept. When Jesus started his ministry, what's, what does he do? He goes to John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness is what scripture tells us, to do the right thing. And he goes to John the Baptist. They have this conversation. And, and Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. This is, this is what it says in, in Matthew chapter 3. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. What had Jesus done up to this point, ministry-wise? Nothing. Jesus hadn't done a miracle he hadn't taught a crowd. He'd just been being a carpenter. He hadn't done any of the things that we think gave meaning to Jesus's life. And God says to him, this is my son who I love. Understand that God's love for you is not dependent on what you do. It's not dependent on where you live. It's not dependent on whether you make the right decision in this or that or whatever condition. God loves you. Paul, that guy we were talking about, wrote this in Ephesians chapter 2. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Where's our value come from? Uh, does it come from your sense of self-worth because you've accomplished goals, you've set these expectations and you've met them? Uh, no. Does it come from what other people think about you and the kind of life that you live? No. Our value comes from God, the God who made us and loves us. Um, we don't have to do anything to find fulfillment except to make Jesus the very center of our lives, the center of every aspect of our lives. We don't have to get every decision right. We can trust that God will work good for us even when we make mistakes. And we don't have to be disappointed with ourselves when God, uh, when, we don't have to be disappointed in ourselves when, when we mess up and God still does something great through that process. Um, unrealistic expectations. What causes us to be disappointed with ourselves? What else? Um, past choices that we've made in our lives that we second guess now, days, weeks, months, years later. Some of us deal with that. Those things that happened in the past 
that we still struggle with. Disappointment over not trying harder to save my marriage. Disappointment over not pursuing that job. Disappointment over that first step that I took all those years ago that led to a lifelong addiction. Disappointment over that purchase that, that, create, that crippled us financially. Disappointment over the way that we parented our kids. Disappointment that I had that affair, that I had that abortion, or that I lost that job. Some of us are carrying disappointment, and we just need to let it go. Disappointment that comes from things that happened a long, long time ago. Um, Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. I'm going to read a little bit before you see what's up on screen, but listen, listen to what Paul says to us about carrying that burden of disappointment from the past. He says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved those things or that I've already achieved already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me, the purpose that he had. No, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. Many of us need to let go of the expectations, that the, the, the disappointment that we have because of bad decisions that we made in the past, because of things that have struggled, uh, the ways that we've struggled. We need to let go those things from the past um, and, and trust God to see what God has in store for us. What, what causes us to be disappointed with ourselves? I, I think another part of that is unfulfilled dreams. You had dreams of getting married, and that didn't happen. You had dreams of having kids, and that hasn't happened. You had dreams that you would have a certain kind of job or a certain kind of home or a level of financial flexibility, and that hasn't happened. Sometimes you have to let the disappointment that comes from unfulfilled dreams die. Those unfulfilled dreams, you just need to let them go. Um, I have to accept that I'm never going to play football for the Ohio State University. You know, it's just not going to be. I, I have to accept that I'm not going to travel the world maybe in the way that I had hoped or wanted. I have to accept that I'm not going to be a doctor, that I'm not going to find a cure for cancer, that I'm not going to live on a ranch out west. I have to let those dreams go. Um, especially those dreams that are focused on temporary aspects of our lives. Jesus said this, John records it. Jesus said this to his disciples. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Uh, a week or so ago, I, I had a chance to, to watch the movie uh, American Underdog. About the, it's the life story of Kurt Warner. It tells about how he 
became a Super Bowl champion, that kind of thing. And it's really interesting because Kurt Warner was this guy who had this passion for football, who desperately wanted to play in the NFL. And he couldn't, he couldn't even get on the field until the senior year of, his, uh, of college and just struggled. He has this dream that has been consuming for him since he was a little guy. And he finally, after the draft, gets a tryout with the team. He goes for the first day of the tryout. He's not prepared, and they cut him the very next day. His dream has vanished. It, it seems to be fading away, but he holds on to it and says, I've got it. I've got to do what I can do to get to the NFL. Ultimately, as you, as you watch the movie, see the story, what happens is Warner has to make a decision for whether his dream is going to be to have a family, um, to, to become a part of a family and to serve Jesus or whether he's gonna pursue life in the NFL, a dream that is probably not gonna happen. And he lets go of that dream to play in the NFL. Um, if you know the story of Kurt Warner, it, it's a pretty incredible story because in letting go of that dream and letting that kernel die, God does something amazing and allows him to be, allows him to play in the NFL, to become an MVP, uh, MVP of the Super Bowl, incredible stuff. But that dream had to die first. Um, Mr. Holland's Opus, if, if you've watched that movie, you know that story that when it comes to the end and the arts program has been, has been, um, has been axed and he goes to empty his classroom for the last time, the building is seemingly empty. He has his last box of stuff. And, uh, and he, he kind of gets walked into the auditorium. Um, and there in the auditorium, it's packed and people are cheering wildly for him. In a scene that reduces every teacher I know to tears, one of his former students, who's now the governor of the state, pays tribute to his life the life that he thought was a disappointment in himself and declares, we are your symphony, Mr. Holland, and invites him to take the baton and to direct for the first time what he had written and no one had ever heard in his great American symphony. One dream had to die, but what grew in its place was so much better. What he had expected never materialized. But what ultimately happened dissolved that disappointment when it was seen through the right kind of perspective, when he began to see with a big picture. Unfulfilled dreams, we've got to let them go and see what God does, especially if those uh, unfulfilled dreams are about temporary kinds of things. What causes us to be disappointed with ourselves? The, um, the, let me just say this because I think it's so important. There's a spiritual battle going on in us. About, about, about our disappointment. Um, there's a spiritual battle that takes place in our head and our hearts. It's a fight for our soul. If Satan can make us believe that our life doesn't matter, that our life has been a waste, he can undermine and destroy all that God has done for us through Jesus. That's why he wants you to live disappointed in yourself. Ephesians 6 says this, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. 
The battle for your dreams, for your expectations, for what matters, what matters most, it's going on. And it's going on in a way that we can't see it. Because if we live disappointed in ourselves, that will destroy us. That's not a part of God's plan. One, one last thing that I just want to share is this. Um, what, what causes us to be disappointed with ourselves? Sometimes it's because we choose sin. We just choose sin. If you think about King David in the Old Testament, there's this, there's this man who's a man after God's own heart. God anoints him as a shepherd boy, rises him up, uh, as we talked about last week, to become, become the king of the nation of Israel, to set the stage for them to become one of the most powerful nations on earth. And in his role as king, one night he looks out and sees Bathsheba taking a bath, takes her, sleeps with her, has her husband killed, and, and David's, David destroys his credibility, his King, uh, his role as king is never quite the same after that because of that breach of trust, because of that sin that, that takes place. And Second uh, Samuel talks about what happens after Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him this story to convict him of his sin and says, David, you're the man. You're the man that I've been telling this story about. Um, and it says that David goes in and falls on his face before God and weeps for seven days, lying prostrate, pleading for God to spare the life of his son that was conceived from his affair with Bathsheba. Um, disappointed in himself. Sometimes we're disappointed in ourselves because we choose sin. If you think in the New Testament about Simon Peter, um, one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, one of the guys that Jesus invested most in, and on the night that he's betrayed Peter outside the, the house of Caiaphas, denies that he even knows Jesus. And it says that Simon Peter went out and wept bitterly, disappoint, disappointed in himself because of his sin. I've talked about Paul when, when he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he realizes in that moment that everything that he has pursued, everything that he thought was right in, in the destruction of Christians in order to protect Judaism, he had gotten all wrong because Jesus was the Messiah. That as he comes into Damascus for three days, he doesn't eat or drink because he's so consumed with his guilt, disappointment that he missed it so completely. Some of us live with the cancer of disappointment in ourselves because of the sinful choices that we've made or sinful choices that we continue to make. We look back and we think, if only I would have made that choice, I could have walked away. I should have done this instead of that. Would have, could have, should have, woulda, coulda, shoulda. If I had done those things, I would have been spared this devastating disappointment that I've lived with all my life that's consumed me. Hear me in this. Hear me in this. Real repentance is the only real response for dealing with real disappointment whose source is sin. If, if you're disappointed with yourself because of sin that exists in your life now or that's existed in the past, the only way that you can deal with that is to repent 
and find the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, God's faithful and just to forgive us those sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to let that stuff go. When we're dealing with sin in our lives from the past or from the present, forgiveness is more important than living in the land of woulda, coulda, shoulda. We, we live in a place to say, oh, if I only done that and we carry that burden, forgiveness is so much more important. Forgiveness is what allows us to let that go on a daily basis. Let me, let me just give you two last thoughts in today's message. The, the first is this. Um, if, if you're disappointed in yourself, if you're disappointed, if you, if you live with that disappointment, God wants to work in that disappointment. I think God does his best work in that disappointment. Um, our, our disappointment in ourselves causes us to believe that our life is less than it could have been. Oh, it's less than what I expected. It's less than whatever. God does his best work in less than places, in things that we're dependent on him instead of dependent on ourselves. Um, it was in, in Peter's disappointment with himself as he wept bitterly that not long after that, Jesus comes to him and says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. In that brokenness, that disappointment, feed my sheep. Um, it, it was in Paul's disappointment that he had taken the wrong path that God comes to him and says, do you love me, man? I've got churches for you to plant all over the known world. That, that it's going to change because you take the gospel there. It's in his disappointment that Paul hears that call. God does his best work when we let him direct our paths. When we let go of our self-determined expectations and our disappointment in ourselves. God, God's working. Think about it for a second. If your expectations would have been fulfilled, if you would have married that person, if you would have taken that job, if you would have landed in this place, who knows if you'd hear God's voice at all because you wouldn't need him like you need him now. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about lowering your expectations in your relationships with others to, to, to kind of um, deal with that disappointment that we have in others. And after I was done, I thought, man, I missed this because the word for that, lowering your expectations with others, the word for that is grace. You know what the word is for lowering your expectations with yourself? The word for that is forgiveness. Forgiving yourself, allowing you to believe and to accept and to embrace the forgiveness that God has given to you through Jesus. Last thing's this. Jesus has purchased glasses of hope for you. You know, it's easy for us to look around and see all the, all the carnage around us, to see all the mess that we've made of our life, all the disappointment that we have in ourselves. Jesus bought glasses that give us hope because we can see that God is working even through the mess, that he has a plan that's better than we ever imagined. Jesus has given us glasses of hope. Disappointment dwells on the past, not the future. It has to be replaced with hope that's rooted in the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to make everything new.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for the truth of your word. Lord, we, we get so bogged down, so caught in the quagmire of our disappointment with ourselves. God, with believing that we have to do it all rather than to just come to you and let you do the work in us and through us. God, change our perspective, change our eyesight to see what really matters, Lord. Help, God, I ask that you help us forgive ourselves and that we really believe and embrace the forgiveness that you've given us as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, let's sing.
worshiping with you guys today. Hopefully you come back next Sunday and have a great week. We'll see you then.